1: Welcome back. For the pissed segment. (laughs) They know how this goes.
2: We hope you picked up some bargains in our Oh God, What Now? yard sale. Let's have a couple more modest proposals for how our hard-lit-up listeners can save money. And all strictly Widdicombe compliant, of course. It is Alex's turn.
1: So, um, bear with me. (laughs) Roadkill <laughs> is not only free, but plentiful, organic, lean. Um, and I mean, if you can't afford a pret BLT, why not uh, enjoy a nice uh, badger lettuce and tomato <laughs> sandwich? Hedgehogs make very good canapes, and the cocktail stick is pre attached. <laughs> um, did your beloved pet get run over? Waste not, want not, no? no? I feel I've lost the audience, no, so I'll stop.
3: I know, it gives a new meaning to doggy bag, but...
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that was, that was fairly revolting. Um, I've got something possibly even more revolting, although, you know, think about it. So, compost. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if you stopped there. Is that compost?
4: <laughs> not sure it's edible.
2: It's, no, it's not. But it is quite expensive. And, you know, you have to drive to the garden centre to get it. And that's not very environmentally friendly, let's face it. It's hard to haul about. It's a pain. Why not, given that compost is basically just broken down manure, really, with a few extras, why not hang out around your local sewage outfall? <laughs> because as we know... There are many water companies in this country who are only too happy to give away the the waste that we all produce (laughs) on our behalf and put it in places where we would frankly would rather not go, you know, seas, rivers. Why not bring your bags down to the sewage outfall, get the companies to tell you when it's going to happen and wait there and, you know, hey presto, you've got your free compost <laughs> substitute hey presto
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: with a bag of don't, to <laughs> don't tell me it's a shit idea
4: <laughs> when Ros invites you round to see her prize marrows um, <laughs> just think think before you anyway
2: Okay. Now, continuing our Tory-heavy live show, who will end up taking back control of the Conservative Party after the general election? They'll need to be ambitious, keen to reshape the party, perhaps even move on from Brexit. Maybe, judging by the NatCon gathering last week, eager to get the right kind of Britons breeding again, open up some new fronts in the endless culture war. But who has the guts to take on this wretched party? We are going to go through some possible candidates and discuss their pros, their cons, their madnesses. And we're going to start with Kemi Badenoch, who sadly couldn't be at NatCon and was, I think, much missed. But Arthur, where do you rate her chances?
4: I sort of think that she's somebody who, a a sort of committee has decided she is going to be a leading contender. And, And it's widely known that Michael Gove has you know, put sort of... This is the only member of that <laughs> Yes, committee. I think it's a one-man <laughs> committee of Michael Gove and maybe Kemi's mum. Kemi's but it, it, it's quite hard to see what the appeal is. she I don't know if some of you might have seen her performance in the House of Commons the other day where she managed to piss off the speaker to an absolutely extreme degree. and And her response was pretty sort of petulant and unapologetic. And I'm not sure if she was put under the kind of glare of of exposure of, of, of being a party leader, that that would work very well. So, so I, I have a feeling that, that pe- people have decided that she's good. Obviously, she, she has a diverse background. Her life story is quite fascinating. Grew up in Nigeria, came to the UK and all that. So lots of boxes are being ticked um, in a sort of Tory um, headquarters somewhere. But, but I'm not sure the voters have really gone for it.
3: Marie, what do you think? Um, so I think so, Kemi. I find quite interesting because I do remember, like, even before the leadership contest last year, having. And you know, I mean, I think it's not just Gabe. Like, you've got quite interesting Conservative MPs, Daniel like O'Brien, etc. Like, who are kind of like supporting her. And I remember watching the leadership debates she was in, and at first I was like, you know, actually, you know, I, I'm kind of warming to her. Like, you know, I, I'm finding her more compelling than I thought I would. But then I realised that actually, so her formula for answering every question was being like, you know, repeating the question in a like, slightly too long as well, taking slightly too long to repeat the question. Offering uh, a you know a kind of like relevant personal anecdote, and then asking a bunch, of, a bunch of questions and not answering them, and I was like, oh my god, she's a columnist, like, you know, and I'm a columnist as well, and that's why you know, I, was, oh, yeah, no, no, I do that as well. That's how I earn my you know my money. But yeah, so I think that's kind of my so my, my slightly hot take. I think is that as a result, she would not make a good prime minister, but I think she would make quite a good leader of the opposition because she is she, she is I think generally one of those politicians who's very good at asking interesting questions that feel like the right questions to ask uh, but crucially she does not have the answers to any of those questions but again if you're leader of the opposition that's sort of fine so actually I, I, could, I could weirdly see it happen but purely on that um,
4: But surely the Boris Johnson story tells us that columnists make great prime ministers they, <laughs>
3: And one day, my reign of terror. Yep. <laughs> Can't wait.
2: I have a feeling that Kemi actually despises journalists, though. You can almost tell, you know, she's, she's got that kind of terrifying quality where she, she thinks that, you know, we're, we're basically scum. OK, let's move on to another great hope. Suella Brafman. <laughs> His thing's started already, right? How, how much worse will it get? Right, um... Marie, Suela Braverman, I mean, is she, is she leader material? Or does she just like hanging around at the edges, making bad decisions and making life difficult for the leader?
3: She So having spoken to a number of Conservative MPs about the potential future leadership candidates, I think literally the single nicest, you know, best thing I've heard about Suela from a Tory MP was she's actually quite nice in person like literally like that is the only thing but no but some also see, i don't you know and, and i may be wrong and you know you feel free collectively to quote me on this if i fuck it up but i really do not see because i feel like you know like she's become the person people are like oh you know she'll be the you know the next city of the position i don't see it because again like she's not she's not charismatic she's not doing well as home secretary she doesn't have that many friends in the party you like, know i don't i i i think yeah like, I, I i don't know now, I, I don't find her really interesting, but purely because I really, really do not think she will ever become leader of the Conservative Party because there's just not much then. And, and she's not competent either, I think, is the. Um, Which there, means no, 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 no. almost
1: certainly, obviously, now that. You no, know,
3: so I walked and like, you know, when you walk into a trap and in, in the process of walking, you're like, oh, the trap, oh. Um, but yeah, so when I said, yeah, she's not competent, that's really what happened to me. Um, but, no, no, but, but I think in that way, that is obvious even to fellow members of parliament, crucially. And she's not a great orator. I mean, I, I know what Suella Braverman thinks about things, but I can't
2: remember an instance in which she's told me what she thinks about things in a memorable way. That, um, that seems to be lacking.
1: I, I have this sort of... Like, if Suella Braverman was a, a Jim Carrey comedy, her brain would get slightly wired wrong after this week, and all she would be able to say is, last year I got a speeding ticket... <laughs> I took the points, I paid the fine, nothing untoward happened. Like, forever. That's the only (laughs) thing she can say. What are your plans for education? Last year, (laughs) I got a speeding ticket. I paid the fine, I took the points, nothing untoward happened. (laughs) I love that, because the the more she says it, the more you think, something untoward happened, (laughs) didn't it? (laughs) It's a, it's a little bit like in the League of Gentlemen where they go, we didn't burn him.
2: <laughs> well, it's testament to the diversity and excitement of the modern Tory party. that The next person we're coming to is also a woman, which, you yeah, know, is, is, I suppose, progress. Penny Mordaunt. Oh. Now, I, I'm amazed, frankly, by how Penny Mordaunt has managed to Somehow revive her reputation simply by virtue of holding a sword. <laughs> and she admitted that she took ibuprofen before before holding the sword because otherwise she was worried she might not be able to hold it up. And that doesn't speak to me of brute strength. But on the other hand, she was in the army, so she you know presumably knows her knows her limits. Arthur Penny Mordant, has she proved herself?
4: Um, well one thing about this holding the sword thing because you know that, that there's a whole conspiracy about this because there's a picture of her holding this ginormous sword and she's obviously spent time in the gym <laughs> her arms look quite trim um, but then if you see it from another angle she's got a thing around her neck that holds the sword up so she's not holding the sword this, oh this is, wow you know I, I can't You know, am I the first person to reveal this knowledge it's it's a conspiracy it's like the moon landings it never happened um <laughs> So, so we, you know, I, I think she's she's taking us all for a
1: ride. Okay, can I just say though that it's all relative? Because what I would like the panel to think about is imagine Liz Truss.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Under no circumstances can Liz Truss be given a sword. <laughs>
1: She she would literally behead the king 10 seconds after the (laughs) coronet. Oh, so sorry. I've killed two of them.
3: Wasn't she a Republican as a young, you know, that super distrust? Yeah, she wanted to do away with
1: her monarchy. She's doing it.
2: (laughs) Okay, that's the image of the night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, but seriously, guys. <laughs> Penny Morton. <laughs> what does she have to offer intellectually, the Conservative Party at this point? Why, why is that the category? <laughs>
3: yeah, I think... I can... I'm, I think I can probably give a vaguely... Um, no, so I, I think, right, the penny pitch is, um, I think, so she was... I, I, I do think she was quite clever. And so we forget, I think, and probably not you guys, but, you know, people at large forget that she was, a, you know, kind of a key member of Vote Leave, like she was the Turkey woman. You may remember, may not remember, like she was the one who tore the television studios to say, well, if you we stay in the EU, turkey, you know, turkey is about to join any second now, and then all of Turkey, three turkeys, will be moving to Britain in three days um, no but when she was the kind of, yeah she was the mental woman that like, pushing that line and she did a really good job actually at reinventing herself and being like oh no actually no i think we uh, which i thought was actually quite remarkable in a way of going like, you know three four years later going our politics is broken we need to be adults we need to be responsible and reasonable what what happened to britain and it was like Penny, you're on Scully News threatening that seven turkeys would join Britain. Like, no, no But no, so I think so. No, yes, I think either that. But she, she does have, I think, she will, she would have the support of the headbangers, but also I think enough moderates. And if you look at other uh, leadership contests of last year, like, enough moderates would back her. So I think I could sort of see her winning. But that being said, in the leadership contest last year, I think she, she came quite close actually. But then she was so bad in the, in the debates. And, she, and and I actually have got quite a soft spot for Penny, um, which, which I think, by the way, that was tremendous. I think over, like, last summer, people kept trying to talk about Penny in those ways. I mean, I know and she's quite interesting and she shows well on camera. Like, people were trying to say that she's an attractive woman, but obviously felt they could not say that, which was the funniest thing. They were like, she's got this presence on stage. <laughs> Her hair looks. My compliments to her hairdresser. And as I like, know, and and no, no but which is why I think everyone got really weird about the sort thing because they were like, I have been holding in the fact that I find Penny attractive for so long, and finally I just I can't. Um, but no, so, so I actually I, I could yeah I could weirdly see it if she gets better the debatey stuff again at least like looking internally in the Conservative Party I could I could see her kind of form a coalition there. They
2: are longing for another Thatcher whom they can find quietly irresistible. <laughs> And let's face it, Theresa May was sadly not that woman. And And Mistrust turned out to be not that woman either.
1: They're just going to keep going through them, aren't they?
2: Yes. Okay. David Frost. (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking.
1: Quite a reaction. I know what you're thinking. How interesting. He's
2: in the House of Lords now, so he can't be Prime Minister. Not sure, actually, constitutionally, whether that is absolutely true. I'd have to check that afterwards still. Mm. It certainly wasn't in the 19th century. Anyway, moving on. But he wants to be an MP, and apparently he's, he's prepared to quit the Lords and uh, stand for, for, for a constituency as yet undeclared so that he can be an MP. And you know that, that means the world is his oyster after these.
1: Dream century. scenario, he's the portillo of the next election. Yeah. <laughs> he quits his seat in the Lords and then doesn't get in as an MP. <laughs> that would be just glorious.
3: My thing was going to be the devil switcheroo of like Nadine Dorries is going to the Lords anyway, so that he would get the seat, so that we lose Nadine (laughs) and get Lord Frost instead. But
2: after the success he made of the Brexit negotiations, can we really bet against him? Arthur? Well, uh,
4: obviously, um, he he and I were once colleagues, so um, we go back a long way. Um... (laughs) It's one of the biggest mysteries. When, when former diplomats meet, they look at each other and they say, David Frost, what happened? Um, and it remains a mystery. Very few people know the answer to, to, the, to that question. Um, he was genuinely quite normal. Um, and then, as, as is well known, he worked for the Scotch Whiskey Association. And he was very <laughs> pro-EU in that role. And I, I really, I think he was kidnapped by aliens, and he's not that this is a different... It's just like, you know... And that there's, a, there's a guy with a joystick controlling him from a flying saucer. Um, I don't want really think I'm always into conspiracy theories, but I, I, a lot of weird shit is happening at the moment, so...
2: Okay. What, who are the dark horses in the, in the race who we've, we haven't been paying much attention to, but who could come forward? And please don't say Boris Johnson because there's been a lot of Boris Johnson in this show and I know why, we all know why, but, but no, just no, no, he can't do it. I cannot, I cannot countenance it. But who might come through from an unexpected place and wow us all?
3: Oh, I was at 100% James Coverley. Like, I'm not a betting woman um, because I don't understand how betting works, which is a weird blind spot to have, but here we go. Um, but i know at 100% James Covelly. Like He is, you know, because he was like a close ally of Boris back in London. So he was a deputy mayor in London, and then obviously he got into parliament, has a background in the army, is mixed race, was a Brexiteer, is genuinely, and I think that... It, so this is sort of the thing that I, I've said a number of times before, and it's hard to say with a straight face because I know it sounds insane, Um but the bar is very low. He talks like a normal person. <laughs> no, but it's like you can literally like you can have a drink with James Cleverly and have a perfectly pleasant time and talk about whatever. And it's not, you know, it's not because I've like so many MPs are either like so charismatic, it's actually quite ominous and weird, or somehow the ones where it's like oh, you clearly hate talking to people so much. Why are you in this very specific job? It is such a specific job to have for someone who hates talking to people. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, James Covely, again, that has the credentials, uh, is not making a mess of things at the foreign office. Again, very low bar, because trust and Dominic Raab. Um, but, but you know, if you talk to civil servants there, they're actually quite like him. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so I think he's massively, massively underpriced right now. Like James Covely, that would be my, uh, he's my, second. my personal bet. He's
1: the second favourite. <laughs>
3: All oh, right, in, no, in, just, in the very specific context of the, saying, the, this panel,
1: it's actually uh, Kemi uh, Badnock, that's the favourite, seven to two, and then cleverly, which is quite interesting, isn't it? <laughs> because I feel that there's a big elephant in the room that we're not talking about, and that's the, the fact that the Conservative Party is edging closer and closer to sort of positions of racism and there's quite a lot of candidates of colour. So I really don't know how that will work out and in my heart of hearts I just think if it goes to the membership it's going to be a white person, you know, and and no one will acknowledge that's why, but that's why. And if they continue their tailspin, it may well be Lee Anderson or Danny Kruger or you, you laugh you laugh exactly like we laughed about Trump we did, we thought Trump no, will never I, win I the, know, no, the nomination and then he'll never become president and then he'll get thrown out after January the 6th and there he is again
3: if Danny Kruger becomes the next Tory leader Alex, like you have my word, you can follow me in the street booing me all the time whenever <laughs> you want I don't no, but
1: it might okay. be someone like that. You know, it will be someone like really proper, right wing. I don't think so. Rhys Morg, one
2: of the audience, oh, said, "No, he has not got the energy." Let's face it; we were just talking about <laughs> we were just talking about his sloth. He he literally hasn't got. You know, it, 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 he's too world weary. We uh, I I can't believe he would do it. Besides, he's also uh, very likely to lose his seat. Uh, so that's Miriam Cates. It
1: might be someone like that.
2: Yep. Miriam
1: Kate. No, seriously. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, no scenario is too insane.
3: No, but I, a brief nerdy point, I think, if you look at who's bound to lose their seats you know, so in like every level of Labour okay. victory in the next election, it is actually, you know, it's, it's a really mixed bag. No, but it, it is, you know, again, in a very wonkish way, it's really interesting because it's a very mixed bag where actually it's not just, you know, a lot of the nutters would lose, but a lot of the, like, quite reasonable people would lose. But most importantly, I think a lot of the people in safe seats in the Conservative Party right now are actually kind of unknown quantities. Like they're not the big names. They're people that even I haven't really heard of, and it's entirely my job to know about them. So I think, so, so I, I think there's a bit of a mystery box if you look at the selectorate of... Because, again, I think also a lot of Tory MPs feel really burnt by list trusts, understandably. Um, and so they would probably not want to send a nutter to the members again, because they know that the members will elect the nutter. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, but as a result, you know, they have to do that. But but, but yes, yeah, so as a result, like what matters is the selectorate of conservative, like the parliamentary Conservative Party. But we don't really know what it's going to look like. So I think you know, I I, I love the general looking, but yeah, I, I'm not I'm not convinced a proper proper nutter mm. from the nutter region of France. Otherwise, it's not real I'm just I'm just um, pointing <laughs> out I'm just
1: pointing out the trend, right? Because yeah. if you go Thatcher, Major. Cameron Johnson Trust. It is like that Supertramp cover, you know, where they're, they're kind of going back to ape. I, I just, I'm just, you know, I'm just interested in the trend, that's all. Well, we've got. It's going to be Lee Anderson, isn't it? It's going to be Lee Anderson.
2: Probably because got a whole year the worst thing always
1: it. happens. This is, this is like the world we're living in at the moment. The worst thing always happens so you imagine the worst thing and it happens
2: okay we're we're going to turn this round slightly now sorry that's a
1: great segue for the reasons to be cheerful
2: exactly the next one is called reasons to be cheerful because we want to cheer you up after that We've spent the whole show worrying away at the Conservative Party, and you can't really blame us, because with any luck, we might not have it to kick around much longer. We've barely mentioned Keir Starmer at all, and I can almost see his brow furrowing in mild disappointment at that omission, but, you know. But what about the future? Uh, It's it's a tough job raising expectations and simultaneously lowering them. But so far, Labour is making quite a good go of that. And it's all jam tomorrow. Uh, And since I mentioned it, look out.
1: (laughs) Good work.
2: Look out for a new episode of Jam Tomorrow, probably next week, on ID cards. Which I thoroughly, yeah, I know. Uh, Can I take a poll now, actually? Who, Who wants an ID card right now?
1: I have an ID card. So.
3: No, no, we're Europeans. Yeah, we're exactly. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're
1: loons. You're what, what used to be called an alien. You, you would rather literally...
3: So weird, they find seven organisations have
1: your gas bill rather than one document.
2: Right, who, who, like Boris Johnson, wouldn't carry an ID card and if a policeman stopped you and asked for it, they, you would eat it. even though obviously it would be made of plastic so you couldn't eat it but that's not the point who is really anti-id cards oh there are there are some people out there one or two okay right well yeah listen up next week
0: this episode is brought to you by shopify
2: So what are the reasons to be cheerful in the coming political era? We've asked each of our panellists to come up with something to look
3: forward to. Marie, what is yours? Literally, why did you come to me first? You know I struggle with that one. We were talking about it earlier, but we did come up like, with some. Oh, you know, I had such a long list of ideas, none of which were really relevant, because um, I was like, can I maybe say there's a new Doctor Who season coming? through so The a new Doctor. She was like, no, so, fine. Um, uh, LAUGHTER uh, no, so then what was it? Oh, no, no, so um, yeah, I can't remember what. Oh, God. Um, anyway, so I think that because it has to be political. Oh, no, no, sorry. So I did have one slightly tenuous one. Uh, no, which, uh, uh, um you know. So, um, I'm so
1: happy to be here for this internal monologue. <laughs>
3: reasons to be cheerful i'm sorry no 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 the one i was gonna say which it feels like quite painfully earnest but the fact that actually the greens have done so well at the local elections mean that hopefully they'll do a bit better as well uh, further elections meaning that actually we can finally get some fucking momentum on green issues which actually would be quite nice from all parties. And whoever wins the next election hopefully labor but you know so there can be actually pressure uh, to do more stuff on the environment which i think would be really good um and yeah and basically oh. Uh, and then, yeah, and finally it was just like we see all the worst people from the 2019 intake. We only have like at most 18 months of our lives of hearing from them and then they will be gone forever, was my third one.
1: That is cheery.
2: Alex, how about you?
1: Um, so, no, so I'm not well. being funny. Um, nuclear fusion... Why are you laughing? (laughs) Who who just laughed? Um, So researchers at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory um, they produced um, 3.15 megajoules of energy by firing 2.05 megajoules of a laser, and that really is. Quite extraordinary because it's the first time it's ever happened. They have they literally created more energy than they expended. I mean, it's still a long way to go, but it it, it is free infinite energy potentially, and I find that very exciting. And on a personal level, um, although it's too late for my mum, but there have been leaps in Alzheimer's treatments at the moment. There are literally Five or six really promising things going on to do with a cure. Um, A a couple of them really boosted by the mRNA um, COVID um, research that happened. And there is now an effective drug, donanimab, it's called, that is in its final stages with provable results of slowing down alzheimer's by a third which is again quite extraordinary so those are reasons to be cheerful mm-hmm. science is kind of going on without without
2: scientific progress yeah. yes absolutely arthur how about you
1: um well I, we were
4: told you have to have a serious one um, so I, the thing I thought of first, which wasn't very serious, but I'm going to share it anyway, uh, but well, you can't stop me. Um, I sp- they could unplug, I guess. Anyway, uh, let's see what happens. Um, I was thinking about all those PPE millionaires, um, because throughout history, when, when a class of people gets ridiculously rich in a disgraceful fashion, they often commission great art, um, because they still sort of feel a bit embarrassed. As a guy near where I live who he became a, a multimillionaire from PPE and he's bought this big sort of country house and stuff. Who knows? He might be commissioning tapestries. Um,
3: is he but, single?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, um, I'll put you in Dutch. Anyway, um, but, but I, I realise that we, we need a more serious one. So I'm now going to go uber serious and talk about the war in Yemen, um, which is something I sort of care a bit about having lived in Yemen and, um, a, you know, a hideous tragedy. But actually, uh, in the last year, some interesting things have happened. Basically, the Saudis have given up trying to defeat the rebels there, the Houthi rebels, and realizing that they can't do that. The Saudis have then made peace with the Iranians. Um, And there are lots of things to be nervous about. um, And this is not in any way to say that, you know, what's happened is good in in terms of the the years of conflict. But actually, the prospect of there being a lasting peace in Yemen looks more solid now than it has done at any time, really, since 2015. So that is genuinely something I feel cheerful about.
2: Thanks, Arthur. Well, mine is also fairly serious. Um, Well, very serious, really. So tomorrow the latest immigration figures are going to come out. And you will have heard that they are going to be very high by usual standards, possibly three quarters of a million, possibly even more. But for me, the remarkable thing about that is that it hasn't so far caused the kind of right wing uproar that we might have expected. And while Undoubtedly, there's a lot of tensions around small boats and a lot of unhappiness around illegal migration in this country. We now seem to be a country that is actually quite happy with legal migration in quite substantial numbers, whether it's foreign students, who are obviously great, whether it's Ukrainians or Hong Kongers or Afghans or just people coming here from all over the world to work in the NHS. That seems to be, from what we know of public opinion, most people are actually happy with that. And that wasn't what I expected after the Brexit campaign and during a cost-of-living crisis. I was very worried that there would be a big turn against immigration in the wake of the cost of living crisis, that people's frustration and fear would turn. It hasn't. And that's actually really good. And it's something we should celebrate. And for all the problems with small boats that we know about and the tensions there, legal migration in this country is pretty much a success story. And it's worth holding on to that, because it's something to be really, really quite grateful for after
3: seven years of...
2: (laughs) Lunacy.
3: We are taking over your panels, though. Um? We're taking over
2: So, uh, we're just going to have a brief, brief chat about Labour, just to, just because we feel we've neglected labor very brief, because I hear someone yawning. <laughs> There's quite a lot of talent in the Labour Party, and I wanted to ask the panel, who is not getting the publicity? Who is, who deserves to get more attention than they do? And who should we be looking out for come the general election?
3: Uh, I can start if you want. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. No, I, I think uh, my, my trio of women of Bridget Phillipson, and Lisa Nandy and, and Lou Haig, I think are quite like, they're really fun because they're all quite different. So I think Bridget Phillipson um i there's a fan club i am the only member i mean i was the only member for a long time and i feel like there are more people but even when she was you know like a random backbencher she used to write these incredibly thoughtful essays with new Statesman about the state of the labour party the state of britain which were really good i think she's a brilliant thinker i think lisa nandy is also like she's really good at kind of again in the kind of in that james cleverly where like talking like a normal person being quite compelling in in a sort of normal way and then lou hay and i think that that's going to sound a bit silly, but I think it's genuinely important. She clearly has fun with politics so she really enjoys her job and she really enjoys it. So if you look especially at her Twitter, she's having a delightful time attacking the Tories, which I think is quite rare. I think so many politicians are quite dour about the art of politics. And I think those three is a kind of like combo, like cover everything you kind of want from, you know, from a front bench of like, yeah, sort of like, you know, like, yeah, fun brains and kind of like relatableness, I suppose. So yeah, these are my three. Fantastic. Thank you, Marie. Any others or are we going to...
1: Arthur's got one. I I have a a very soft spot for the people who do a lot of work in the committees because it's often unsung and it's really good work. So people like uh, Diana Johnson, uh, Darren Jones, Chris Bryant, I I genuinely think sometimes they are the engine proper of the Parliamentary Labour Party and they go largely recognised and they are terrific people
4: actually i I wanted to um give a a sort of big up to um the mp for exeter ben bradshaw who um of course has a had a prehistory as a quite prominent bbc uh reporter and if you look at a map of where um labor mps are in britain there's not very many red spots in the southwest of england in fact i think that he's the only one the only survivor um and he's held that seat all the way since the '97, the, the Tony Blair landslide. Um, but it's not just that; he's done lots of important work um, in, in recent years. He's been drawing attention to really complicated international issues, including kind of Russian interference in our politics. So, yeah, good job, Ben.
2: And we're coming to the end of the show. I'd like to thank the panel and Alexandre. Thank you. Marie
3: good to you. We will be fighting after this. Yeah. And Arthur Snell.
2: Yeah. And I'd also like to thank the backroom team, all the production, especially fantastic Alex, who did It's a Sin at the beginning, which was just... <laughs> Masterpiece there, eh? and thank you to all you for coming along. And now we've got time for a few audience questions. And I believe there is a roving mic somewhere. Uh, I can see a gentleman here on the second row who's got a question and a gentleman in the first row as well. And apologies, my eyesight is very bad, so if you're not a gentleman and not a lady, (laughs) or if you're something else and I've totally misgendered you, I'm sorry, um, I shall say person in future. (laughs) And a lady, uh, I think, oh, God. I'm (laughs) I'm I'm going to... Right, Okay. What's
1: going on? It's a a minefield... (laughs) (laughs)
2: By eyesight, you can't, I can't tell you how myopic I am. Right. Okay. I, I worry
1: I'll be flaunting my ignorance here, but why,
4: for all of his fame and his role behind the scenes, clearly, why is Michael Gove never mentioned in the context of Tory leadership? Because
1: he's weird. <laughs> but, I guess, it's weird. That, that, that is not, that is, there's no evidence that that is to the exclusion of his candidacy, right?
0: No, I think no, no, no I think he's
1: no. weird in a way that kind of does exclude him. <laughs> Because, no, because, and I think he knows that now, which is why he's decided to be Zvengali to Kemi.
3: I, I think Kemi. he really enjoys, I, I, I think Gove enjoys being the kingmaker and also kind of enjoys having a normal life. So, like, this is really random, but, like, so a friend of mine is a civil servant at d Luck and was saying that, you know... Gove likes, you know, so he, he finishes work at the office at a decent time most nights because he likes doing stuff in the evening. Which, again, I respect that. I love that for him. You know, like, he's divorced, like, you know, hot Gove summer. No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, No, no, but what I mean, right, is I, I I do think that he gave it a go, but I, I think he'd clearly much rather still be an important, you know, an important part of the Conservative Party, but I'm not convinced that he wants the job anymore. I, I genuinely think that's... So I think it's as simple as... He's given it a go before. He's clever enough to know that, you know, he would have to fight incredibly hard to maybe potentially get it and just know actually he's quite happy as the kingmaker.
2: And he's also very good at telling prime ministers when their time is up. That's what he did with Johnson and pretty much that's what he did with Truss as well. And he's very useful in that regard because the the Tory party doesn't always realise that.
1: Yeah. He could be like a speaking clock for prime (laughs) (laughs) ministers. You call the cone number. <laughs> you call the cone number, and it goes. Your time is up.
3: I love the idea of like him being like you know that like, you can hire Gove. Like he leaves that parliament, and you can. Only, he's literally just at your job in an office at your desk, and like Michael gave a run. <laughs> and
2: you're so like, oh time. god, you need, you
1: need to change jobs. This is, now.
2: Yeah, yeah. From the person over there who I can't see at all with a white t-shirt
1: on. Yes.
4: Didn't really expect that. <laughs> uh, you've always very much been a podcast of opposition a shadow podcast if you will
1: are you the one that just came from america is that why you're in shorts <laughs> no because someone just came from america apparently to to watch the show they thank did. you for that thank you been outside was. Today. was it not you not me oh well, you're just, hard, you yeah. just decided not to make an effort <laughs> did you no that's all right that's all right uh, in the event of a labor win
4: or some sort of hung parliament progressive alliance where does the podcast go
2: from here? Oh, it's a sixty thousand dollar question, isn't it? Will we be? Do we have to be in permanent opposition? I mean, yeah, we've we've obviously asked ourselves this question, I think. Um, and and so what what is our role when we're not actually opposing anymore? But there's just so much. There's so many ways in which governments screw up. Um, and as we learn more about the new personalities, you know, in, in charge, there will be plenty to discuss about what they get get wrong. I mean, I, I have vivid memories of the labor era. And for all that some of us might look back on that with nostalgia now, at the time, it seemed an absolute foment of I, <laughs> of what we call TBGBs.
1: I sort of look forward to my time as a sort of North Korean News anchor going, our glorious leader today. <laughs> I think there'd be an audience for that. We'll, we'll, have,
2: we'll have a feature called Dear Keir
1: <laughs>
2: each week. Dear Keir, can thank
1: I, you. For... Can I make a serious point though? Um, it, it will be tighter than people think. They will come back. These people are good at winning and they have a lot of fucking money and a lot of press on their side. And we saw that in Greece, right? We like to fool ourselves that the conventional media is no longer relevant. It fucking is. In Greece, all of them pulled in the same direction and they changed opinion. They changed the narrative. Okay, so this will be a scrap. It will be a fight. And if we're fighting amongst each other, we're not going to win. It is as simple as that. They are good at this. And we need to be at the top of our game to beat them. And every time I post something that is obviously a really good thing that Labour just announced, the first fucking response will be something, something Keith, something, something worse than the Tories. And it's like, grow the fuck up. Seriously. Get your priorities right. Let's get let's get this lot out of Downing Street and then I think the podcast will find a very nice niche in dragging the Labour Party ever more to the left and ever more towards Europe.
2: Well, for all that, seems a great note to end on. We probably have time for one more question, but it's got to be really good, guys. Who has a very good question?
1: No confidence
2: there.
3: You know, I'm nearly annoyed no-one put their hand back down. I would have someone would be like, no, nah, she might say, I just like...
1: A question for Alec, for Andrew Snell, but probably for the rest of the panel. Um, the Conservative Party have got all barrels focused on the civil services at the moment. Labour has always been slightly ambivalent about the civil service. Um, can they survive? The, the, the civil service, serv- in terms of the high reputation that I mean, they have enjoyed in the past? I have to say, as, as a former civil servant, um, it, it's not a homogenous mass. There are a lot of departments that need radical reform. I mean, the Home Office is a mess. The, the Department of, I don't even know what it is now, trade industry, energy, and, l- and light bulbs and, and, yeah. and North Africa. I mean, <laughs> no, seriously, oh, seriously, though, we, we, we just need to rationalise a little bit of how government works and go from the result backwards. Like, what is it we actually want to do in this country? What do we want to do in the world? How do we fund it? And how do we achieve it? it? Because at the moment, you just have a series of departments that get a budget as if it's a sort of allowance, and then they go out to try and spend it, which is just bonkers. It it should be like, this is the result I'm trying to get. How do I achieve it and how much will it cost? That, that's I mean, that's the way you would do it in any other field, <laughs> except it seems government. So, yes, I think they will survive because I think ultimately the Labour Party is a statist party, you know, in, in, in the best way imaginable, you know. It, it likes a strong, muscular state that does stuff. And I think in order to do that, you need a workforce. And it's this government that has ceased treating it as a workforce. They think they can somehow deliver all this nonsense when the people who are meant to deliver it hate their guts (laughs) and then they get surprised like when when people leak stuff or when they 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 complain about bullying or when they refer them to the to the police why wouldn't you i mean seriously why wouldn't you they are bad bosses they pay badly and they treat people badly they deserve all the stuff that's happening to them. I sense you're a former civil servant. <laughs> I see it in your aura. <laughs> Arthur, you were I... also
2: a former uh, civil servant. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think
4: one, one thing that it would, be, it would be wonderful if it came back, because my um, fondest recollections, being really boring for a moment, of civil service working is when you had evidence-based policy, which obviously there were... <laughs> There, there were still policy uh, choices. Yes. Do, you remember, do you remember that? It's sort of historic, uh, yes. historic concept. Um, there would be policy choices, but you would give a minister perhaps three or four choices, but it, it would be based on evidence. And ever since Brexit, the whole point of Brexit is a prejudice-based policy, and that that then you know opened the um, the the floodgates. And we've been and we've been in that world ever since. You know the mad shit about the. The free, free ports, or every, everything—it's just this mad shit that they come up with because, because the idea of evidence has gone. And I think that that one of the things that the sort of insidious um, rot at the heart of the relationship between ministers and civil servants is the civil servants know that fundamentally none of these policies have any basis in evidence. And I think I think whatever one thinks of Keir Starmer, he's, he's he is very likely to lead a government that that goes for the evidence.
3: I did not used to be a civil servant, but I feel the need to tip in because I'm a journalist and that's what we do. Um, but no, no, so I actually did do a big piece recently on the relationship with the civil service and, uh, and ministers. And what I found, like, there's one thing I do want to bring up, which I thought was quite interesting, of talking to someone who was a very long-serving and a civil servant, and, like, their point was that actually there used to be, like, you know, a lot of actually creative conflicts between, especially, like, the new Labour and the civil service, and even actually that like, Thatcher's administration as well, there was a lot of kind of, you know, like... Yeah, again, I think they use the phrase, like, creative conflicts between government and civil servants but their point was always we are making you go through this mess because we've got very specific goals we want to achieve and then afterwards will kind of like smooth things over and the big difference post-Brexit was that actually especially under Johnson was that they saw the conflict as the point it was not a conflict as a means to an end it was just like the conflict is actually what we want and I think that actually as a result once you know Labour comes in and I'm sure there will be again there, there will be some companies that that always happens right there will always be between that political people in the civil service but a it'll be for a specific purpose and b I, I you know I generally believe they will seek to actually iron things out afterwards as well so you know I, I have no personally I mean we need to agree with them as well I have no great worry that you know that relationship will not uh heal once this government is out the door.
2: So there you have it, evidence-based policy and no more conflict for the sake of conflict. I think there's things we can all get behind. Thank you all again. It's been brilliant. Have safe journeys home and hopefully see you next time. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
4: A oh Good What Now was presented by Ross Taylor with Arthur Snell, Marie Leconte and Alex The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. The producer was Chris Jones. With audio and video production by me, Alex Reese. Camera work by Jade Bailey and Jess Harpin. Merch sales by Martin Boytosh. With thanks to Zander and the rest of the Last Square Theatre team, Oh God, What Now is a Podmasters production. <laughs>